0: All right, thank you for leading us in worship this morning. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7? We're going to be looking at verses 36 to 50 this morning. Thank you. All right, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. I'd like to read it for us as we get started. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, this is such a beautiful story of a woman's love and gratitude to Jesus. And I pray that as we walk through this passage this morning, that you would guide us by your Holy Spirit, that you would bring out what it is that you want us to remember and speak to our hearts. Father, I pray that we would love Jesus like she did. In his name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday was Mother's Day. And for those of you that are moms in our church, I hope that it was a good day for you and that you were able to do something special or something that you enjoy that day. Mother's Day is a time when we, uh, for those of us whose moms have passed away, where we may think about stories or memories, and I did. I was thinking about one story of my mom that I wanted to share with you as we began this morning. My mom had a special set of dishes that were used on those holidays or anniversaries. You know, they'd, they'd be brought out of the China hutch on, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas or an anniversary time to be used when guests were there. And she really enjoyed them, took good care of them. And I remember there was a time when either it was her birthday or Mother's Day. I was in elementary school, older elementary, and I wanted to get my mom a gift. And I had been in our local hardware store. (laughs) There's not too many places to shop in Warren, Minnesota. And so I'm in the Hardware Hank store and I had noticed that there were some orange juice glasses that looked like they matched her set. You know, the clear glass, had the little glass beads around the edge, you know, and, and it looked like it would be a match. I knew nothing about the quality of glassware or anything at all like that, but I just thought, well, this could merely be a good gift for her. And so I saved up my money, I went in, I think I bought six of them, that's all that I could afford, Um, and I wrapped them up and I gave them to my mom as this gift. Well, when my mom opened it and she saw what they were, she was so happy and she just smiled at me and she received those gifts with gratitude. She didn't look at me and say, oh, honey, you know, those aren't the same. We're going to have to take them back. You know, not, they really don't match the set. No, what she did and said was she took those glasses, she put them in the china chest where the other dishware was, and she used them. It was an act of grace on her part, an act of love as well. And I think about that in a story that we're looking at today that really is a story of love and grace. Grace that is extended to all of us because of what Christ has done for us. One of the things that I like about studying the parables of Jesus, and this one is called the parable of the Moneylender, is that on one level, most of them are so simple and clear that a child can understand them. Like the parable of the Good Samaritan. We are to help those who are in need. And any child can hear that story and understand it and what we are to do. And yet they are so profound at another level that they can challenge the most seasoned saint, who is our neighbor. Are we doing that? Are we showing that kind of love to others? And I cannot read this story without asking myself, how much do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus like this woman did, who understood his grace and forgiveness? The setting for the parable, you heard it, but the setting is this, that there is a Pharisee named Simon who invites Jesus to come to his home for dinner. Now, that that seems on the surface like quite a generous offer. I mean, given this tension that's been going on between Jesus and the Pharisees, for him to open up his home seems like, well, that's really gracious on his part. But as we get into the story, we understand that he's not quite as welcoming as that may seem. Jesus accepted the invitation. He cared about the Pharisees too. And he saw it as an opportunity for this man to come to repentance. There's an opportunity to talk about grace and forgiveness. So he enters his home and he reclines at the table. And that was the normal way of eating in those days. Uh, Low tables, there would be cushions around them. And you would lean with your head toward the table on your left elbow and your feet would be away from the table. Feet were considered unclean. And so this is a way that if you're a Pharisee and you want to do things proper, this is the way that you would eat. It may seem uncomfortable to us, but it was normal to them. And then this unnamed woman enters into this room. What do we know about her? Well, Luke tells us that she had lived a sinful life in that town. She had lived a sinful life. It was kind of a nice way of saying that she was a prostitute. And everybody in town knew her reputation. Small town, word gets around, everybody knows. You just This woman is kind of shunned, put away. So how did she get into this party? Well, banquets were public affairs in those days to which many uninvited guests would come. It was a way of honoring the special guest. It was a way of honoring the host. And so doors were open. Anybody could come in. They would stand on the perimeter of the building or the room, I should say, uh, next to the wall. Or they might sit and lean against the wall. And they were there. They could listen in on the conversation or the teaching. And so it seems that this woman had heard or seen Jesus before. And she came to Jesus out of love and gratitude. And she brought this alabaster jar of perfume to anoint Jesus. And we see this moving scene in which she does that. She washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And she dries them with her hair. And Simon... Is indignant. And he thinks in his mind, if this man were a prophet, he would have nothing to do with her. Obviously, Jesus is no prophet. And then Jesus tells this parable and asks the question who will love him more? So, what do we learn from this parable in verses 41 and 42? This parable of the moneylender. Well, when you take a look at it, we see that here were two men who owed a great debt. A denarius was a coin that equaled a day's wages. So one man owed 500 denarii. That's about two years wages. You can think of that in terms of your own salary, how much that would be. The other owed 50 denarii. That would be like two months' wages. And again, you can think of a comparable figure in your mind as to what that would be. Different amounts, but both were unable to pay their debt. They just didn't have the savings or reserve to cover that. It would be like having a mortgage on your home and losing your job and getting into trouble where you cannot pay your mortgage and you're going to lose your house. And one person may owe 250000 in that mortgage, and somebody else might owe 50000 But you're both in trouble unless somehow you get the money to pay your mortgage. So it is with our sin. Sin is often called a debt in Scripture. As in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, when Jesus said we should pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are all sinners, and the penalty for that debt, the penalty for our sin is death. Romans six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, a spiritual separation from God. And this money lender sees their need, and he cancels their debt. He, like Jesus, pays the price that was owed. And Jesus asked Simon which of them will love him more. The point of the story is that we are all sinners, but some people don't like to hear that. There was a story about a countess in England who was a great supporter of John Wesley and George Whitefield in the days of their ministry. And she invited a duchess, a friend of hers, to hear Whitefield preach. And later she received this written note from her. The Duchess said, It is a monstrous thing to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl on the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. And I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiments so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. She was offended. She didn't want to be told that she was a sinner whose heart was in need of forgiveness as much as any of the common people. She had her nose so far in the air that she just couldn't see it. We are all sinners. We all need God's mercy and grace. And I've run into that. When I have shared the gospel with individuals, there are times when I've run into people who have said, you are calling me a sinner. Well, yes, that's true, and I am as well. In fact, one of the truest marks of a believer is a willingness to admit our sin and to ask for forgiveness. What we also see here is that, secondly, the more we understand what God has done for us, the greater our love for Christ will be. The closer we grow to him, the more we see how sinful we are and how great is God's grace. Simon's problem was that he saw himself as a little sinner. Proud, self-righteous, he had little need for God. He just thought, you know, I'm one of those persons that God would be lucky to get. You know, I'm doing pretty well here and I'm following all the commands and doing the prayers and going to the synagogue and doing everything you're supposed to do. And look at how Jesus confronts him in verses 44 to 47. You see, it was customary for a host to see that his guest's feet were washed, and that was usually done by a servant. Simon didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't have anything there at the door to care for Jesus and take care of that. It was also customary for a host to greet his guests at the door with a kiss. Like a handshake or a hug today where we would welcome someone into our home and make them a guest and take care of them and give them something to drink or offer them some food, something to eat. Simon didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. And it was customary for a host to anoint a special guest with oil. At least with olive oil, that was the commonest and cheapest oil available. At least you could have done that. But Simon didn't anoint his guests with oil. You see, he really wasn't as welcoming as it seemed. He didn't go out of his way to do anything. It seems that this dinner for Jesus was more an opportunity for Simon to put him to the test and to see who this Jesus really is. But in contrast, look at all that this woman did. She came to Jesus, and she was so moved by his love and something about his person and his forgiveness that tears just came. And those tears flowed. And, And here you can imagine this setting where Jesus is sitting, head toward the table, feet toward the wall, and she is standing there, and her tears are dropping on his feet. She washed his feet. She didn't bring a towel. She didn't have anything to wipe them. This is something that, again, Simon should have done. She had just brought this perfume to anoint his feet. And so what does she do? She let down her hair. Now, in that culture, for a woman to let down her hair in public was considered a disgrace. But she didn't care. She would humble herself before others. Her love for Jesus was that great that she would do this for him. She washed his feet. She dried his feet with her hair. And then she anointed his feet with this perfume. And the perfume that she brought would have been far more costly than olive oil, it was a sacrifice. An alabaster jar was often worn by a woman around the neck as an adornment, like jewelry. And that perfume that was contained was usually quite valuable. It wasn't something that you would just pour out. And yet, she came. And she wanted to do this for Jesus. And Jesus looked at her, and he acknowledged that her sins were many. I mean, there is no uh, skirting that. He acknowledged that she was a woman who had sinned. But he turned to her and he said, your sins are forgiven. And then in verse 50, he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He makes it clear that she was saved by faith. She wasn't saved by an act of penance. She wasn't saved by some good deed that she had done. She was saved by her faith in Jesus. And it was her faith that prompted this action of love and gratitude in response to Jesus' grace. I look at that and I ask the question, how much do we love Jesus. Randy Frazee is a pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, and he told this story about a time when he went to visit a man in his church, and he went to his office, and there in the office, he saw a picture of this man and his wife. Looked at the picture on the wall, and he said, nice picture. And when he turned around, he saw that this man was crying. There were tears coming down his cheeks. And he asked about it, he said, why are you crying? And the man said, there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife and she found out about it. And she was so deeply hurt and injured that she was going to leave me and take the kids with her. And he said, I was overwhelmed at the mistake that I had made and I shut the affair down. I went to my wife in total brokenness, and knowing I did not deserve for her to answer in the affirmative, I asked her to forgive me, and she forgave me. This picture was taken shortly after that. And when I see this picture, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who gave my life back to me. You know, it's interesting that here was this pastor coming in, didn't know the story, didn't know this man very well, and just made a comment on a beautiful picture of a husband and wife together, not knowing the background. But here was a man who every time he saw that picture of his wife, felt love and forgiveness. What do we see when we look at Jesus? What do we see when we look at the cross? And do we see the one who gave his life for us? And is our heart moved where we recognize that we can do nothing less? I mean, if Jesus gave his all for us, how can we not give our all for him? The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians five fourteen and 15. He said, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul saw Jesus as the one who laid down his life for him. And in return, he said, how can we not do that? for Jesus. Those who are forgiven much love much. That's a powerful statement. I mean, that's, that's the point of this story. When we really see how lost we were, when we see how great was our sin and how great was the sacrifice that Christ made for us, we love him much. Those who come to God and say, well, you know, I only want to give God a little bit or I'll give him this part of my life, but not this, or I'll kind of hold back or he can be in this room of my house, but not anywhere else. Don't understand how great our sin is and how great the sacrifice is that Jesus made. Those who are forgiven much, love much. And thirdly, If we truly love Christ, then we will serve him. And we will get involved in the lives of other people. We will put that faith into action. How many people are like Simon? And sadly, how easy is it for us to be like Simon sometimes? You look at Simon's life. Simon misjudged the woman because he looked on her external appearance and he didn't see her heart. He only saw her past and he wanted nothing to do with her. And sometimes Christians, sometimes churches can be just like that. Well, we don't want to associate with those people or we don't want to have those kids in our youth group, or we don't want to have those kids come into our children's ministry because they're going to affect all these other kids or our kids. And so we don't want them to come. And sadly, there are churches that will do that. They'll kind of want to close the doors or shun or just have this be sort of this private group that's going to meet and we're going to protect them. we're going to shelter them. I don't want to be part of a church like that. I want to be part of a church that understands and recognizes that we are all sinners and that kids need Jesus. Students need Jesus. Adults need Jesus. And if they're going to come into a relationship with him, then we need to open the doors and we need to open our hearts and reach out. Simon's attitude here needs to be rejected or the church will stop reaching the lost. And it is sad, when that has happened in a church, that church will die. When it closes its doors and thinks that somehow a thing that we are to do is just sort of keep to ourselves. No, the gospel is made for all. Simon misjudged himself. He thought he was better than her. And he didn't see that he was a sinner every bit in need of God's grace as she was. Maybe you haven't committed adultery physically. But have you ever lusted in your heart after another woman? Then you are guilty. And maybe you have never murdered someone. But have you ever been so angry at someone that you wished them harm or wanted to kind of get back at them in some way? Then you are guilty. That's what Jesus says, that, that to commit these sins in our hearts is also breaking the law. It is breaking God's standard of righteousness and holiness. And we are guilty. And most of all, Simon misjudged Jesus. He thought that if Jesus were a prophet, he would have nothing to do with her. That real prophets would shun the sinners, shun tax collectors, shun people like this. And he, like the rest of the Pharisees, did not understand why Jesus came. Jesus said himself in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was his mission. To come to those who needed to hear the gospel and receive God's forgiveness and grace. Do you want to be like Jesus? Then spend time with those who don't know him. You think of how Jesus in his ministry not only spent time with the disciples and trained and equipped them, he was spending time with the lost. He had relationships and connections with those who didn't know Jesus, didn't know him, so that they might come into a relationship with God. And too often we raise walls rather than build bridges. We get in our Christian circles because they're more comfortable. Or like Simon, we don't want to get involved with sinners because it's messy. When I look at this parable, one of the other questions that I think about is this. Why were sinners drawn to Jesus? What was it about Jesus that attracted them? I mean, why was he able to spend time with sinners and tax collectors who seemed to enjoy his company? His attitude was not judgmental. He met them where they were and he offered forgiveness. And, grace. and I think those are really good qualities that we need to understand. If we're going to be building relationships, we need to see our own sin and understand that it's only by the grace of God that we have been saved. We need to go to those that are lost, who don't know Jesus. And understand that the reason that they are living as they do is because they've not come into a relationship with him. And they need to know him. We need to remember why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost. And I want to encourage you that this summer, I always think of summer as a great time to make connections. I mean, it's the time in our neighborhoods when people, you know, have been bunkered down over the winter, you know, and they just drive in, you know, close the garage door, and they kind of stay in their homes. This is a time when people are out walking in their neighborhoods. This is a time when our kids are involved in sports teams and summer recreation and things like that. It is a great time to build relationships. Have a block party. Get involved in coaching your kids' soccer team or t-ball team. Meet other parents and go out and have something to eat with them or get to know them, love them, pray for them. Listen to their story and hear where they are coming from and what's going on in their life and be that kind of person who welcomes and reaches out. Share your story as you have opportunity of what God has done in your life. And pray for an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. You know, it would be wonderful if God could use each of us to lead someone to Christ this summer. It'd be great if we could uh, invite our kids' friends to come to Vacation Bible School or to the soccer camp that we're going to have. It'd be great if your kids could invite a friend to go to camp this summer where they might hear the gospel and come into a relationship with Jesus. Do you want to be like him? Then spend time with the lost. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful passage this is that shows the devotion of this woman who understood the depths of her sin, and she came to you because of her love and her gratitude. And Father, I pray that that love and that gratitude in our heart would move us to action too. And God, would you be pleased to use our church and use our ministries to children and students and adults to bring others into a relationship with you? Father, help us to be that kind of savoring influence in this community that others might come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.